Welcome to the World Beyond the Tale, the Page Day American Gods podcast. I'm your host, James, and today we're reading page 174. The windows of the stores they passed. It's good of you putting me up, said Shadow. I appreciate it. We owe your employer a number of favors, and Lord knows we have the room. It's a big old house. There used to be more of us, you know. Now it's just the three of us. You won't be in the way. Any idea how long I meant to stay with you? Mr. Ibis shook his head. He didn't say, but we are happy to have you here, and we can find you work. If you are not squeamish, if you treat the dead with respect. So, asked Shadow, what are you people doing here in Cairo? Was it just the name or something? No, not at all. Actually, this region takes its names from us, although people barely know it. It was a trading post back in the old days. Frontier times? You might call it that, said Mr. Ibis. Evening, Ms. Simmons, and a Merry Christmas to you, too. The folk who brought me here came up the Mississippi a long time back. Shadow stopped in the street and stared. Are you trying to tell me that ancient Egyptians came here to trade 5,000 years ago? Mr. Ibis said nothing, but he smirked loudly. Then he said, 3,530 years ago, give or take. Okay, said Shadow, I'll buy it, I guess. What were they trading? Not much, said Mr. Ibis, animal skins, some food, copper from the mines in the Upper Peninsula. The whole thing was rather a disappointment, not worth the effort. They stayed here long enough to believe in us, to sacrifice to us, and for a handful of the traders to die of fever and be buried here, leaving us behind them. He stopped dead in the middle of the sidewalk, turned around slowly, arms extended. This country has been Grand Central Station for 10,000 years or more. You say to me, what about Columbus? Sure, said Shadow obligingly. What about him? Columbus did what people have been doing for thousands of years. There's nothing special about coming to America. I've been writing stories about it from time to time. They began to walk again. True stories? Up to a point, yes. I'll let you read one or two if you like. It's all there. And that's our page. Here's the page I was waiting for, or maybe I would have been if I hadn't completely forgotten it was here. Shadow and Mr. Ibis are strolling through the neighborhood of Cairo and discussing Shadow's time in the funeral home. I was expecting a conversation about how no one wants to greet the Undertaker, but I was wrong, and I think I'm actually thinking of an issue of Sandman instead. Maybe just assume I'm always thinking about Sandman. Shadow doesn't know how long he's going to be there, nor does Mr. Ibis, and I guess we haven't really discussed Shadow's current situation much at this point. Shadow was taken by the spook show and was on the road trying to find a place to lay low, and Wednesday found Shadow this place and communicated that, as you would, through a raven. It's a place to stay while everything blows over, and Cairo is as good a temporary place as they're going to find. Although, things really aren't going to blow over. But we can talk about that when we get there. In another chapter or two, Shadow will have a more permanent temporary home in a town called Lakeside, but what it really makes me ask is, why? Having read the book previously, I think I have a pretty good idea. But Shadow's working for Wednesday, sealed his deal with some mead. But Shadow, as far as we know at this point in the novel, is just a guy, no connections. Drop into any bar in any city in America, and you'll find a person similar to or almost exactly like Shadow. So what makes Shadow special? There's his deity dad giving him certain powers and abilities, but even then, the book contains an entire country full of gods and goddesses. Would it be that difficult for Wednesday to find another demigod to help him on his mission? I just want to plant this seed, because it seems like if anyone should be in hiding, it should be Wednesday and the rest of the old gods. 
Shadow, despite his stoic nature, his rugged good looks, his, I don't know, a third thing, is just a mortal in a chess game of the gods. It's just one of those things, I just want to plant that seed now. It's going to have a payoff later, but even then, I don't know, I don't know why it has to be Shadow and not any other person. Mr. Ibis suggests to an incredulous Shadow that Egyptians came up the Mississippi some 3,500 years ago, and this is something I talked about briefly before and suggested I hadn't found a lot of concrete evidence to back it up. Digging a bit more, it looks like this theory goes back some small amount of time. One of the earliest references I could find was in 1992, but it does seem that there are other inferences going back at least another 20 years before that. An older, uh, well... I guess I'll call it like I see it, a conspiracy theory magazine entitled Science Frontiers, which appears to be significantly less science and, well, much more not science, references an article from the Northwest Florida Daily News entitled Professor Believes Egyptians Sailed Mississippi Left Culture from December 1991 and suggests that there are similarities between the ancient Egyptian and Atakapas languages. But once again, I can find very little concrete evidence to back this up. The Atacapas tribe lived around the mouth of the Mississippi in the regions of Louisiana and Texas, so the placement fits, but I couldn't find any other just solid details that would make me believe this to be the case. An article from the Oklahoman newspaper going back to 1990 had an article entitled State Woman Working to Save Cave Writings talked to a woman named Gloria Farley who was working to save a series of drawings in a number of caves in the Oklahoma panhandle. The drawings, she insisted, depicted a number of Egyptian and Celtic symbols, including an image of Anubis. The article also notes that Farley was not releasing the location of the caves for fear that they would be desecrated by people, which really sets off a number of red flags. Add to it that she's responsible for the discovery of a number of supposed Viking rune stones in the same area, and, well, I don't know, man. They're called the Heavener rune stones, and they've been discredited in the 20 or so years between that article and now, and they definitely seem to be more modern, that is, in the last 200 years. The the author, or the woman in the article, Farley, passed away sometime in uh, 2006, but her website still beats the drum that these are authentic Viking rune stones, despite carbon dating and other scientific methods proving that to be incorrect. There's also an episode of the show America Unearthed from January 2013 where a man supposedly pulled a giant stone out of the Arkansas River that had a carving of Apis, a sacred bull worshipped in Memphis, a site in Lower Egypt thousands of years ago. The episode has a few minutes dealing with the Anubis Caves as well and briefly talks about Farley's work but does not mention her by name. The show is about 45 minutes long, and I'm happy to say that I wasted my entire goddamn day of breaks one day at work watching it, because the final conclusion was that, well, the caves could be worshipping Celtic deity Mithras as a way of celebrating the equinox, but it spends all this time on the Apis Bull carving, and then suddenly tosses in these Anubis caves at the end, and then wraps it up by basically believing everything the guy who owns the land the caves are on is saying. So, scientific it was not. 
the show's final conclusion for the Apis Lab was also left out at the end of the 45-minute hour. So I, I don't really know. I'm very disappointed in myself. I usually don't get suckered into those pop science and pop archaeology TV series. Although Young Indiana Jones, that's still good. In previous episodes, I think somewhere near the beginning of the series here, we talked about people faking Viking artifacts. I honestly don't remember where they were. Wisconsin, maybe, or Minnesota? I did the research, I think, and now I'm trying to remember if I actually talked about it or not. Hmm, six months is a long time ago. Surely, though, the confusion over authenticity is something Wednesday would just love to capitalize on. Mr. Ibis notes that there's nothing special about coming to America, and that's a bit on the nose, even for him. I do like that Shadow asks Mr. Ibis if the stories are true, and his response is, up to a point. Does this mean Mr. Ibis makes small changes or adjustments to the stories to make them more enjoyable or more readable? I don't know. Maybe. I wonder what he changed in Essie's story, though. Get in touch with the show at theworldbeyondthetale at gmail.com and on Twitter at worldbeyondpod. Thank you to Julian Granganage for his version of St. James Infirmary Blues, which we use as our theme. And thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another page, and remember, only the gods are real.